Welcome to Interlocutor Interviews. I'm Tyler Nessler, the founder of Interlocutor Magazine, which features in-depth coverage of creators, thinkers, performers, and artists of all types. You can check us out online at interlocutorinterviews.com. And if you're a fan of our arts coverage, you can sign up to be a subscriber or contributor via Patreon. Just click on the Patreon link on our site. So today, I've got with me Joseph Keckler, who I have read described as a magician, a vagabond of the outer boroughs with an eye for the unorthodox, irregular, anomalous, and uncanny. <laughs> so, Joseph, does does this sound about right, or how would you describe what you what you do? To, to, <clears throat> do you have like a elevator pitch? No, <laughs> no, no. I just I just call myself a singer and a writer. Okay, and uh, I think I I, I recognize that. Um, I mean, that, that resonates, and I recognize the quote. It's uh, from Olivia Lang, uh-huh. who, who's a, a friend and uh, sometime associate. But um, no, I'm, I just call myself a singer and a, and a writer. Right. Kind of the easiest way to sum up what you do. Uh, yeah. So I want to mention we uh, did an interview. Um, I believe it was published in March of last year in the, the online edition of Interlocutor. Um, so I encourage listeners to check that out um, because it's a pretty thorough background on uh, Joseph's kind of weird and winding path towards where he is now and the wide variety of work that he's done in his, in his family background and all kinds of stuff. Um, I'm going to focus a little bit more on uh, what you're doing currently <clears throat> for this sure. interview. Um, but uh, to start off with, so you um, you are a you would say a classically trained singer, correct? <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and then true. the concentration was in op- opera singing um, from the get go, or y- yeah, you know my my path, um, and I think you know um, my yeah my you know i think it's really natural for artists to to have um to have you know maybe multiple interests or interests that might be seen as multiple even if they're approaching something that they see as as singular and there are different kinds of i think reasons that people um you know there are obviously there are economic reasons um yeah. and and capitalist reasons that people uh Court, court different categories. There are reasons sure. of identity. There are also, you know, craft considerations. I mean, some people think, you know, Jean Cocteau was, was, you know, just doing too much and he would have been better <laughs> if he'd, if he'd focused. But, um, I think a lot of times, uh, when you look at, at history, there are, there are artists who, who had facets that we don't even hear about. Leonardo da Vinci was apparently a great improviser, uh, musically. Oh, wow. huh. Um, and so, so I'm just, you know, foregrounding because I think a lot of times people, you know, I, I just, I, I'm, you know, I'm not like Mr. Multiplicity in, in how I view myself or really advertise myself, but I, but I understand, um, you know, that some, what I do doesn't, isn't, isn't, you know, good for a sound bite or it's not, not, not <laughs> that tidy to the, to the untrained, um, eye. Yeah. So, uh, but to your question, yeah, you know, I, I, um, as a child, I was really interested in visual art and um, at some point started taking piano lessons. And um, then I, you know, and, I, and I've maintained all both musical and visual interests. I don't I don't make any visual art, but I think about it. Um, and sometimes I doing stuff in an art context. But 
I uh, so I went to uh, I studied painting and then trained as a singer at the same time. Okay, um, under uh, under a, an opera singer. Under yeah. an opera singer. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I I trained. Uh, well, started training um, when I was in high school. I I I kind of wanted. I mean, most of the people I liked were were more. Um, you know bluesy blues singers and sort of people in that in that tradition kind of you know um or or you know rock performers and blues performers so i thought that would be my track but you know i couldn't i really couldn't um i didn't know how to how to sing well so i a family friend was a voice teacher and so i quit smoking and and i started taking voice lessons under a woman named Faye Smith, who's now mm. now gone, um, she. But um, and then and then in in college, I I studied under a guy named George Shirley, who was the first um, black tenor, leading tenor oh. at the Met. Oh wow! Okay, so he's really you know important uh, historically and a really great great artist and great person. <laughs> Well, you had said in in our original interview that um, I'm just quoting you. Uh, it's not that I began in a rigid uh, conservatory context and then um, defected. I was always driven to define my own terms, and I I'm I'm cursed with the impulse to not want to be a member of any club that would have me, or even the ones that might. <laughs> well, that's true. I stand by that. I don't. Rem- I, I stand by that. Um, yeah, I didn't come up so. You know, the operatic thing is part of what I do. I also write songs and <laughs> sing them in a non-operatic style. You know, I think I think again, there's there there are real divisions in in our um th- that have have to do partly with 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 class, with with money, with with yeah. the type of you know with with the audiences uh, between you know classical music and popular music you know jazz but you know I, I think that's that that has a lot to do with economy and um and and there are other factors at play but anyway that is to say that where am i going with this um that i was yeah i i i trained in that way but i wasn't really kind of professionalized uh, um exactly or uh, as a classical musician i i took yeah. lessons but i wasn't i was um i was going over there i had convinced the administration to to let me use voice lessons as my sculpture credit as my 3d credit at the art school because all the classes <laughs> wow so so you know i was i did four years of training as a singer but i my um i was more engaged in thinking about visual art Interesting. Um, and then, and then when yeah. I moved to New York, I, um, I, you know, and 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 I was already writing, and so when I when I moved to New York, I basically, not intentionally, uh, stopped doing visual art. I just it. I think you know, I didn't have a studio. Um, I brought materials, thinking maybe I would, um. Right, make visual art, but I, I was, I become very interested in performing and, and in writing, and so I was writing. I was performing at a at an opera house. I was in nightclubs. I was in live <laughs> music venues. I was writing um, plays and 
staging them um, and, and I, you know, working full time at a job. So I was just doing all sorts of, all sorts of things. Now, so was there any kind of internal voice or external voices who were telling you, you gotta, you gotta focus, you gotta narrow this down. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Any other any kind of internal, well, external pressure with that? Or you just kind of naturally gravitate towards this multifaceted work? Well, I think, you know, that I'm, I, uh, I, you know, I was, I, I, there's a certain exuberance that I, that I have. Um, (laughs) and, and so I, I, I was just pursuing my, pursuing my interests. I didn't really think about it. And I mean, there were people, um, I was, I was encouraged by people in the classical mentors, I should say, and, uh, to, to pursue the classical vocal um, route, right? Because it seemed that I had, um, you know, a, a, an ability um, that I that whatever that my, you know, I have a, had a certain kind of voice and, you know, some training and could right. could train more and um, so I was I was encouraged in, in that. Uh, but the world of uh, the world of opera seemed. At that point, um, yeah, it just and didn't it's, seem. It's, it's kind of tough too. Well, you had said that. Well, you you entered the uh, the Mets yeah. competition. Uh, I did. You said yeah. on a lark. Yeah. I did. You were a regional winner. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but then, you know, the time that you spent in that world, you you had said that you became aware that that singers have to contend with a lot of subjugation. You know, from. <laughs> From directors, producers, conductors, coaches, you know, actors have to deal with that as well. Um, and, you know, I, I, I loved this, what you had said in the interview. Um, you have another kind of fortitude. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, the, uh, you said, I, I lack the mm-hmm. kind it would have taken to withstand that. But um, you couldn't stop writing, I think. Mm-hmm. And to me, you know, uh, because you have published a book. Uh, dragging at the edge of a flat world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is a collection of your of your writings, and and that's really kind of I you know when I first discovered you, um, you know it was actually at a, a spoken word event, right? And uh, you you know you 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 were you were telling this really funny story, and then suddenly you started to sing, and you know uh, you know opera singing, and actually. It was so uh, unusual compared to the rest because everybody else was just doing spoken word mm-hmm. on that bill. <laughs> right. And then, I, you know, I, so I actually um, didn't believe my ears uh, initially. I thought this guy is like lip syncing, which, I, you know, mm-hmm. I thought that's cool. <laughs> he included that. Mm-hmm. And uh-huh. then, then it dawned on me, wait, oh, oh holy shit. He's actually, <laughs> he's actually singing. Right. Um, and then yeah, I, I, I'm like, I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta look this guy up. You know, it was, it was, it was I had no idea who you were. Uh, and, you know, uh, Lydia lunch was actually, uh, headlining that bill. And, uh, so, uh, you just stood out so much and you were so unusual. So I looked you up and then I discovered your book and then, and then read the book. Um, but yeah, I do get the sense that it all kind of comes back to writing with you as, as a foundation, you know, and you kind of building off of that. <clears throat> But it, it, it also doesn't yeah. seem as if just writing, like just publishing a book and really not being a performer wouldn't be satisfying for you. There's right. a performative aspect that you need to get out. There is. I mean, <clears throat> you know, I continue. I think people can navigate navigate their 
their interests and abilities in, in different ways. And I've navigated mine in, in one way. And, you know, when I came to New York, I also, I also thought, um, I mean, even before I come to New York, I, I thought, well, I want to, I sort of want to publish these essays and I would, and I sent one, I started just sending a few to like blind submissions. So I was like yeah. 21 or something. And, you know, so I sent one to the Atlantic and I got back a nice like rejection that said, <laughs> your, your writing is clear and intelligent, but you know, this one isn't for us. Please try us again, which was encouraging, but you know, <laughs> encouraging, you know, yeah. thought, okay, well this must, it must be okay if they, if they said that, but <laughs> if they didn't just send the form rejection, no, they sent a nice <laughs> little note and, um, but I didn't, you know, I, I don't know, maybe, uh, I didn't know, I didn't, I wasn't the, that, that patient though, you know, and I, I, so I just decided, you know, there, the stage was, was accessible to me. I had, I could perform. And so I, right. I would book shows as writing deadlines. Oh, um, wow. And so I would, yeah, I would program, um, you know, both, both club dates and also like complete, you know, like theatrical, <laughs> you know, like I would book an, a whole like hour long show and then write it and memorize it and perform it. So that, that was a way for me to present my work. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, you know, it is, you, you do have to, if you're just strictly writing, you know, you're trying to get short stories or essays out there, you have to have a lot of patience. I mean, it's just crickets for so long, you know? And, yeah. and then you're, you're, you're sort of like, you, you know, get to feel like you're throwing it out of the void. Cause I write fiction as well. I know what that process is like, but yeah, it sounds, it sounds like to you, you, you just kind of like, you know, took the reins and you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to put this out there in my own terms. That's, that was the idea. And, you know, <clears throat> I, I also, I think, uh, you know, yeah. So, so bold on, on one level and kind of needy on another, because I think <sighs> I needed, to have some response. Yeah. I mean, I needed yeah. to, I, I'm all, you know, as the years have gone on, I, 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 I am able to, you know, say, start a project and finish it by myself without having a deadline or destination. It's not that I require that, mm -hmm. but for a while, you know, I, I wasn't, Sure, at the beginning, I, I think I did need deadlines. I needed, otherwise everything felt so hypothetical, you know, <laughs> yeah, just yeah. The, what I was doing, the reception of it, the, who I was. So I, I really did need to, to perform in front of, in front of people. Um, and kind right of put away. yourself under that pressure. Like this is, people yeah. are going to, you know, are showing up for this. I need, I need to put it together and he's, yeah. Happen. I mean, one yeah. result of that, I mean, I did put myself out there so much so so a lot of people in downtown i mean i was in, i've been very embraced by by the downtown new york kind of world but also i think you know people some people probably saw me when i was like 22 and and i was bad you know <laughs> i probably you know was doing who knows what depending on the night and um and uh yeah well, then you, you, you must have some kind of core tenacity with it too, because I feel like, you know, there are so many, so many people in New York who come to New York and kind of try to do, you know, uh, performances, especially, you know, like, um, you know, performance art or spoken word and, and yeah, you got to have a lot of like, uh, willpower to stick with it. 
and you know put up with the nights also where you might be off you know you're not getting kind of the the feedback or the reception right. you'd like or you're i mean you know now nightclub now now a lot of clubs seem so they seem kind of um almost like you know ch- children like there there's some kind of warm fuzzy feeling at, at <laughs> nightlife now when i when i go there but when i got to to new york there were you know just brutal um you know brutal drag queens and you know it was it wasn't exactly a an inviting environment i mean maybe that was my view being very young but um yeah. you know but also like doing doing a dense 10 minute monologue on a bill with burlesque dancers and you know spectacle driven work it wasn't it wasn't always like Nobody wanted to hear that, yeah, <laughs> and I would, right. you know, but I, but I would do it. But it wasn't always, um, yeah. So, so yes, I, I had, I had uh, lots of, lots of really encouraging moments, and also discouraging, um, discouraging moments, and uh, yeah, that's par for the course. You had mentioned uh, in the original interview that you were exposed to the work of performance artist John Kelly as well, um, who uh, trained as a countertenor uh, and incorporated opera yeah, I think, into his work in a poetic yeah. way. Uh, and, and so, I mean, I, I think I – because that, that response was because I have never encountered anybody who has incorporated – you know, opera singing basically in, in, in exactly, you know, I've never seen anybody who's done it quite the way that you do, you know? And, yeah. And nobody then, has done it the way that I do, but, <laughs> but other people have, d- have done, have it done it. Ways. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just not right. very commonplace. And then, you know, going back to you were, you were talking about all these other kind of, uh, you know, social, socioeconomic factors that come into play with how the arts are classified. And of course, opera has this very, you know, highbrow reputation, you know, and this all kind of touches back to what you were talking about, the pressures. Like if you, if you're taking that more classical path, conserv- conservatory trains, you know, and trying to you right. know, get into the Met and everything, uh, um, you know, it, it's tough. And then it's also your, your audience is very specific, you know, mm-hmm. you're reaching mm-hmm. a, a much wider kind of cross section of people, I would say with this approach. True. Right. That's true. Yeah. I mean, the um, and, and I do think there's been a kind of, I, I do think the culture of that world has has changed, and I think yeah. the, I think it's kind of opened up a little bit more. You think? Um, or? Yeah, I just think it's real, you know, relaxed. I think there's there's a lot of, you know, in the age we're we're living in, there's there's more um, consciousness, or you know, you know, there's there's some attempt at like, okay, we want to make. You know, towards inclusivity and yeah. and and all these these things, <clears throat> and and I think that maybe I don't know because I'm not I'm not a student now, but you know, I, so I don't I don't know how like singers are are treated in conservatory programs or how actors are treated. I mean, the actors, you know, I came up with I was being an art student. I I, I felt. But some I had friends who were actors and stuff, and they, you know, like they all had like eating disorders, yeah, um, and felt terrible about themselves, and um, and felt like it was their their job to look good, which they all did, and um, you know, so 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 that kind of, um, you know, I, I 
toxicity we would we would call it and 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 also you know i think a lot of um and and power tripping uh you know coaches and you know directors and stuff i, I just encountered that a few times and was sensitive and i i think it may be somewhat different now but also i'm not in that world and you know yeah. the times that i've been in i mean i acted or or anything i haven't had negative experiences um that's good so I've had I've had positive experiences, but I but you know at that time, and I'm sure still there there is a lot of a lot of competition. Also, you're just not in control of of you're at the mercy of of casting directors and, and yeah. uh, you know and so on and yeah and, and so yeah. Well, you have this story anxiety dream anxiety <clears throat> dreams at the Amato. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, this place, uh, I had never heard of it until our first interview, but it was this sort of like, uh, I don't know, ragtag opera house on, on the Bowery, right? Yeah. Well, uh, well, it, <laughs> well, and first I wanted to say the other thing about, because you were talking about the approach now of where I perform. So like where you encountered me and you had that moment of thinking I was lip syncing and then... <laughs> And then considering that maybe I wasn't. And so that element of surprise and taking people by surprise yeah. is kind of what I live for. So I really that's, – that's sort of a sweet spot for me of being in a room of people who have no idea what I'm going to do or, or yeah. who I am and uh, – and then doing it in in a bar or or wherever. So oh, for sure. I just wanted yeah. to, to um, add that. Or, you know, yeah. So – but the the Amato, yeah, the Amato was um, a fantastic opera house that billed itself as the smallest opera, smallest grand opera in the world, <laughs> and um, it was run by a couple, Tony and uh, Sally Amato. I never met Sally; she was gone before I was there. But they, you know, it was very spirited productions, um, and it, a tiny stage, but. The sets would, you know, the sets were charming and and illusory. I mean, they would they would make the stage look like it was much bigger than it was, and they yeah. would also like put a fifty person chorus on the stage. I mean, it was um, it was a place kind of out of time. Yeah, and and all different types of people were coming and going through it. You know, you uh, I I believe you had mentioned that um, you know there were met performers who would come to just sort of work out things there. Yeah, I think some people, you know, who were in the, in the Met chorus, um, or who were maybe had sung at the Met, but were, their voices had gotten too wobbly or, you know, what, <laughs> uh. <laughs> so it was a real heterogeneous bunch of people and, and also just enthusiasts and, you know, so yeah, there were really varying levels of ability. Um, but yeah, but also, but, um, uniform um commitment and you only got one rehearsal on stage two and you weren't right. even necessarily on stage in the show with who you'd been on stage with in the rehearsal but tony's staging was very specific and you had to watch like a dvd of past productions <laughs> and you had to you know reproduce it and and you had you could put your little right flair in um, but it it really was kind of, you know, uh, trial by fire. I mean, it was really. But what do you think? You, what what was the best thing you got out of that experience? And just 
overall as a performer, sort of keeping you on your toes in the sense of not knowing what to expect and also having to, uh, just unpredictability. Yeah. I, I don't know what I, what I took from it as a performer. I'd have to think about that. I mean, I think that I learned a lot about singing there and about being on stage. I mean, it was, um, I don't know how many operas I was in. I, I was, I was in the, I would do roles and I was in the chorus on the nights that I wasn't doing roles. And, yeah. um, so it, it was very familial in that way. So there was, there was something about the, the community that was interesting. Um, and also just the, just as an observer, I mean, it was a fantastic, it was just such a one of a kind place, but yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure as, um, as a performer, I mean, I remember one tenor, you know, kind of outrageous Brazilian tenor there would say, the stage is the best teacher, you know, <laughs> and, uh, so that, so I think that, that was a kind of, um, implicit motto yeah. there at the Amato. So yes, I, I, um. I think I learned to, uh, I think I learned to, you know, kind of project my voice, but I just probably became more consistent as a performer there. Not that I've gone on and really been in operas that often. Well, this kind of, th this basically, um, segues into what you're going to be doing soon. Um, at the end of February, um, cause you're going to be having a residence at the wrinkling museum, the circus museum. Um, in Sarasota, Florida, right? In their historic, uh, well, so it was an 18th, 18th century Italian uh, opera house that was just, I guess, um, dismantled and re reassembled. I believe there. so, yeah. <laughs> I believe I believe so. It was, okay. I think it was acquired by a curator um, in the, you know, early, earlier 20th century. Okay. Um, and who who wanted to make Sarasota a kind of cultural capital um but yeah it's an italian opera house it's beautiful it's it's um yeah i can imagine it's it's yeah and the ringling is you know a whole you know so there's the ringling kind of castle the cadazan and there's um cuz that was their 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 winter headquarters is that true or? that um i don't know exactly i don't know the Okay. The movements of of the of the ringlings. Well <laughs> I, enough I think yet. that I'd read. Well, it was it, you know it was one of those big <clears throat> classic circuses. You know, I think a lot of them um, in the winter they had they had headquarters mm -hmm. um, in Florida um, where they would wait out the winter before they could you know do their Good. their tours. Right. Um, but I'm wondering how. So how did this opera house get involved with ringling? Well, if you have any idea, <laughs> I, I, I'm not the best person to, it, it's a great play. And, you know, it's also, um, it's not just a circus, you know, there are two circus museums on the grounds. There's also an art museum. So, hmm. you know, they have, they have a collection of, of classical paintings. They have, you know, like a James Terrell uh, installation will come through. They, they have contemporary wing. They have. So it's really a whole campus with a wow. lot of different um stuff. So it's you know, it's it's a it's a it's a 
museum with lots of different different facets and um but the the museum i don't know i think that this there was a curator who was you know friends with gertrude stein and you know uh, huh. you know and wanted to really um wanted to make make sarasota a uh, go-to destination yeah, cultural for, the, hub. For, the, for the arts a hub so i think you know why not why not have them um why not Acquire this opera house and have it sent over in shipping containers, and um, yeah. <laughs> you know. And, and what are you going to be doing good. exactly there for this? For this show, I will be doing a concert, two concerts. Okay. Um, with I'll be with um, pianist Matthew Dean Marsh and a cellist uh, this time, Julia Henderson, and. Uh, I'll, but I'll be, you know, in, it'll weave in video work and right. monologue and, uh, what you do a lot of, and a lot of your performances, um, or at least, you know, what I've seen videos of and what I've seen in person, you do also, you, you have shot a lot of short films, basically music videos. Yeah. Um, and then you, you incorporate those into your performances as well. Um, and then, um, then you're going to be briefly touring the state with Lydia Lunch. Too, and you have you've you so you've you've done some work with Lydia Lunch, right? I mean, that's where I was first introduced to you is at that reading. But um, could you talk a little bit about how did you meet her, and you know what's the dynamic, and because <laughs> it's such an it's such a unique combo. I think you you and and her and her, you know her, you know her persona, you know as a as a performer and and just her own you know punk rock legacy and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> How did, how did you two connect? Well, um, so <laughs> we, I, we, Lydia and I met on her podcast. She interviewed me on her podcast, um, a oh, couple right. years ago, okay. three, a, a couple years ago. And, um, so we were connected by Sean Carrillo and Bibby Hansen, who are mutual friends, artists, mm-hmm. um, and who I've known for a long time. Lydia's known them for a long time. So, so that's how we we met, and uh, and then we uh, yeah started hanging out, started you know doing some shows together. But of course, I'd, I'd known Lydia's work um, yeah prior, right. and to that, not not all of it, but she had. I mean, she's written almost four hundred songs, um, and uh, and published prolific, yeah. a very prolific. And you know it it um. As on, you know, in certain ways, I, I, I'm sure it seems an un, an unlikely pairing, and then in, <laughs> in other ways, to me, it seems it makes sense. It like makes it sense. makes sense. I yeah, mean, yeah. Lydia is, um, you know, she's a musician and a, and a writer, and she's not, <laughs> um, and you know, has a kind of, you know, I think, you know, her whole motto is pleasure is the ultimate rebellion. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I have my hedonistic um features as as well. <laughs> and um so so yeah, I think I I think that um there there's a lot of a lot of um sympathetic vibrations between sympathetic vibrations. <laughs> That's good. Good way to put it. Um what are you gonna be doing on this tour with her? Just sort of, sort of a mix of you're going to be doing like opening for her or, uh, vice versa or whatever. Um, doing your own performance or are you performing together? Well, we're not performing together that I know of. Um, 
and we are so Lydia's going to come to my show at the Ringling and then we'll proceed the second night and then we'll um, go on to Orlando and perform there and then Mm -hmm. down to Miami but what we've been doing are these sort of um, back-to-back sets um, of mostly, I mean, I'll do some music. Lydia's focused on text, but they're, yeah, they're more salon, salon-like. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like those classical salons in a way with the, or this, you know, kind of variety show. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, I, we, we and, and where have we done that? I mean, well, we've done a few a few dates at TVI. Yeah, um, I, I saw you both at TVI, and we did um, the UFO Factory in Detroit, and right. we we the other the other day. I don't know when it was. It was in the fall, I guess. Went to Cambridge and did a did a night at this music venue, but mostly text based. And um, we're gonna and we're gonna go to LA in March hmm. and. <laughs> And do that too. Cool, cool. So. Yeah, well, I uh, I interviewed Beth B, the filmmaker who directed the feature-length documentary of Lydia Lydia's yeah. uh, life, which I don't know if you've seen it, but I have, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I I was I was, in, I had known of her and a little bit of her work, but you know, when I saw that uh, documentary, I was really impressed with the the scope and ju- of her work and and just also the staying power, you know, of of how long she's been doing it. Um, yeah. And, uh, also I think you two kind of, you know, uh, have a lot of similarities in that sense. And that, 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 that's sort of like willingness to try out all kinds of different forms and, and just to stick with it. Yeah. And Lydia <clears throat> is, doesn't really let anything get in the way of what she wants. That's to what do. I'm getting at. Yeah. The, you, know? you know, that's kind of what you were saying earlier. You're not, you know, you're, you're not letting yourself be defined or pigeonholed. Yeah. And I, I'd always had that kind of willpower that sustained me for a long time. And then, you know, right before the pandemic, I had had a really intense year of ups and downs. I had premiered two, um, two productions that year. Uh, some new, you know, full length pieces. One of them was really celebrated. One of them was controversial. Um, I had toured by, by myself, in other ways, I, I had um, then been the National Support Act for Slater Kinney at the end of the year. Um, right. And then kind of, it, you know, ended the year on this real high and had just done so much. But then then the pandemic hit. And yeah. so it was this sort of climactic um, point. And then I was so <laughs> – then it went – you know, it was like – then during the pandemic, I mean, I was – I had a TV special that was supposed to supposed to be produced, oh, yeah. and you that kind that, of yeah. slipped, you know, got messed up. And I had was all a pilot. The, was it a it pilot? It was a or? pilot, a, a special, a special. But oh. you know, every special is a backdoor pilot, as they say in the biz. <laughs> so, um, and and I had all these, you know, the shows that were supposed to tour, and I, I, I um. I spent the first half of the pandemic, you know, doing a lot of writing and uh, reading and resting, and it was it was great. But then I kind of just I, I don't know my 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 inspiration is 
we might quaintly refer to it, sort of evaporated at a certain point. And I started thinking like, do I really, maybe I don't want to be an artist anymore. You know, like <laughs> wow. my, you know, or maybe I do, but I just want to, I mean, my favorite job I ever had, we were talking off the year before was, was like, you know, cutting branches at an apartment complex and, and planting yes, grass. You were a groundskeeper. I was a ground, something like that. And I, <laughs> and I thought maybe I should just do that again and, you know, make my work if I feel like it or, um, <laughs> which, which I also wouldn't, I mean, I think that's perfectly respectable and, and, you know, I'm going to, um, keep, I'll, I make it keep entertaining that, but I was, um, we always have that to fall back on. <laughs> I have that to fall back on. Um, my my ability to dump wood chips in a um, around a, a, a tree, but <laughs> I um, so so the you know coming out emerging from the pandemic, I actually think and meeting Lydia sort of sort of facilitated my my recommitment <clears throat> to to working and to being an artist. Wow. Interesting. Okay. Um, because it just, it, yeah, I, I think I just her own kind of commitment and drive sort of reignited that. It, you it, yeah. It like. Yes. Her own, her own commitment and drive and refusal to, to let anything get in the way of that. And, and also her recognition of something in, in, in me. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, prop actually propelled me. So. Well, that's great. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's somebody who, you know, uh, has not given up for decades and has just pushed forward. So perfect, um, you know, reignition. And then also you'd said uh, what, you know, kind of her, her motto is the greatest rebellion is pleasure, something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yes, yeah, so you do have those, you, you, as you mentioned, you have hedonistic tendencies. And, <laughs> um, this gets me to, I wanted to bring up, um, so you recently released Ghost Song and, um, the video. Um, and it was part of an episodic series of, of Cove of Harmony. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and that is at the Portland, Oregon Institute of Contemporary Art, correct? Right. Right. They commissioned it. Yeah. And so, um, what I know, what I saw of it, basically they, they feature new works and ex exclusive performances and conversations and so on. Um, and so how did you get involved with that? Did they just found you? Um, yeah, you, you know, to it or? no, um, you know, I have different relationships with different, you know, arts organizations. So I, I've, I performed at PICA some years ago and you know, there are always these, these conversations going on of, well, what are you doing? What are you? So anyway, you know, during the pandemic, I devised this, this format, um, which is just to, you know, premiere a, a kind of episodic format where I would premiere a video each time, have a conversation with another artist, which is not, not so unlike the, the one we're having, um, and then feature a, an in-studio performance of theirs. And, I, it's just a way for me to, um, it's a way for me to release work 
and right. a way for me, and which ultimately will culminate in a kind of like video album of my 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 stuff, my operatic things, and a way for me to to create context for myself and the other artists uh, with whom I'm in in dialogue right. or or want to be in dialogue or see myself as being in dialogue with. So it's a kind of um, that's the impulse, and and it's very simple. Um, so it's 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 a basic uh, an artistic conversation and a literal conversation. And um, I thought rather than to, it, do, it does require some production elements. So um, sure, you know, it, rather than than going to one organization and asking them to finance something that would be the cost of a you know feature film, why not go to multiple organizations and uh they can each so holland ha, is a is an amazing vocalist and the word amazing is overused but a, a, a an impressive and fascinating vocalist and composer and who has a relationship with portland came up there now lives in new york but so that that was kind of the uh point of connection for that so um, and then other organizations I, I am in dialogue with hopefully will will commission um, these other ones. So I'm figuring that out right now. But this this first one will come out soon. Um, Cove of Harmony. I just I kind of uh, thought of that title because I'd always been attracted to the the name Cave of Harmony, which is a oh, a, a, a nightclub that that Elsa nightclub. Lanchester, who right. f- uh, most famous as the Bride of Frankenstein, had. And she was doing all sorts of things in the twenties. You know, H. G. Wells was writing films for her and these things. So oh. I, I was attracted to that. Um, I, I, I mean, I was attracted to the kind of cave of harmony, but I, I didn't. <laughs> I don't want to like you know. Um, I don't want to vampirize a, a another art, dead artist so i i thought i you know i could could refer to that well so, so ghost song <clears throat> ghost song itself um you know the you, you you've talked about this hedonistic like you know aspect to yourself and so ghost song and you know there, there's there's also a lot of humor in in your work as well, well. like the what, what was it the the, the goth the the when you regress to a goth, goth song goth song <laughs> Yeah, ghost ghost song is you know my my spiritual aspect as well. Yeah, well, yes, no, we can't we can't neglect that. Um, yeah, I'm actually going to play uh, about the first two minutes of Ghost Song, and uh, in it, you're going to introduce the story and do a little bit of singing. So let's uh, get into that. One time, I got into this art residency and I was stationed in a house in the woods. And every night, as I was about to go to sleep, I would hear rapid footsteps just above my head. I knew that somewhere nearby was an octogenarian who had written for the original Dark Shadows television program, so I assumed it was him exercising. One morning, as I was walking down a path past the office building, I saw the lady from the office. She asked me if everything was okay. I said, oh, I feel great, very comfortable. I hear Joe upstairs every night. She said, you're in the building alone. So that changed my relationship to the sound. I thought it might be a squatter who was very in touch with my circadian rhythm or maybe something else. 
I called a friend who knows about such things. I said, look, whatever this is, it's their home, not mine. I don't want to banish anybody, but is there a way I could make peace and get some sleep? My friend said, no problem. Just set out a glass of bourbon, like a glass of milk for Santa, and recite this incantation. So I poured a glass of bourbon, poured one for myself, and I recited the incantation. Okay, so that was Ghost Song. And, uh, you know, uh, first of all, um, you know, so we were talking about hedonism, <laughs> you had, uh, intimate in an encounter with, uh, with a spiritual entity, apparently. Um, I just love the whole, the whole humor and, you know, the, the background of it and the fact that you said nearby, you know, was an octogenarian who had written for the dark shadows. <laughs> television program um joe joe caldwell oh all right and so um now it i don't think in the song it was you you it's well you know you never really quite figured out who the the ghost was no was wasn't was joe actually still on this earthly plane at that oh yeah no joe was alive just oh okay you just thought it was was alive okay (laughs) um thankfully um it yeah, I know he was in a nearby building. He just thought he just thought he was upstairs. I thought the noise upstairs was him, <laughs> but it was it was really this ghost I was about to fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how how yeah, it sounds like it was a pretty transcendent experience. Yeah, um, it was very um very respectful, you know. It was it was just restorative. And, you know, you took a different approach to, you know, most people, they want to get rid of a ghost. You didn't want to get rid of this ghost. You wanted to kind of, you know, uh, make peace with the spirit. Well, yeah, I have, I have boundary issues. <laughs> <laughs> On the earthly plane and elsewhere. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that, that, that's a great one. Um, and uh, I want to mention uh, that I'm going to put up a page for this podcast episode. Um, linking to the original interview that we did in the magazine and then also I'll embed the video to ghost song and some of your other work and links to your site and so on. So people can get an idea beyond just this interview of what you do. Um, so let's talk real quick about a few other things that you have coming up. Um, let's see, uh, you are involved in a feature film with composer John Moran. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you co-star in the film. Yeah. Um, and so we we'll want to just talk real quick about that. How did that come together? What is that exactly? Yeah. It's a, f- it's something we shot in Dresden. Um, some, I'll say that again. I, I rubbed my little mask up against the microphone. <laughs> it's something we shot in Dresden in May. And the, the film it's um it's it's a little tricky to describe but it has some biographical elements about 
me and John and it's a kind of um, and then also the, the the haunted history of Dresden. Right. So, you know, right. Um, you know, John, John is a theater artist and composer who whose signature um, way of working is is that he records. He makes these elaborate sound scores that are kind of a reconstructed naturalist reality and and then performers perform to them. So they are lip syncing to their own voices on stage. Every footstep is a recording. If they yeah. might set down an invisible <laughs> teacup on a table and you hear it. So it's a kind of sound world that's being almost mimed. Um, right. and, and performers are kind of locked into this, into this score. He was very influenced by, you know, things like the, you know, um, the Disney, you know, like haunted, you know, the Disney, Disney world and, and has this kind of, kind of haunted house aesthetic, um, that becomes something, something else that's, sophisticated and uncanny and precise and um interesting so so you know john's john's work is is really interesting and this is a a film um where he's using the same techniques so people are lip sync we're lip syncing to our own voices um it has really different effect in film um but also a, a a weird quality and um so he's he's hard at work constructing this this thing editing it um so he just posted one one little bit of it the other day but at some point it'll come out oh yeah um i'll i'll uh, i'll link to that video as well i believe um is it up on facebook or i think that's at least where i saw it that's where i yeah that's where it is okay um but well i think it's public though maybe i don't know we could I can ask him. We could. <laughs> okay, we'll get to the bottom of it. Um, but this uh, this this also leads into um, a lot of the film work you've done. Um, you've you've worked with uh, Laura. Is it Teruso? Teruso, yeah. yeah, and yeah, and and John and I. You know, we wrote some songs together. We had wanted to do a project for a long time together, like this. So, oh, so cool. We, you know, and it, anyway, but it's it's a, it'll it's hard to describe, but it'll be funny and interesting. Um, and uh, yeah, Laura Teruso and I are working on them. On a film. On a film together. Um, she and I, you know, ca- came up together. Uh, yeah, she's co-directed and shot she, the, uh, your video, she, The Ride, and also Goth Song. She right? she did, the, that older... And Strangers that, from the Internet. She too. shot she <laughs> shot that, yeah. Um, Laura shot that. She shot all three of those and co-directed the, the first two. Um, now this, you know, she is... Uh, you know, now she her other film that will come out this year is starring Robert De Niro. So you know, <laughs> I don't co-direct the things anymore. You know, Laura Laura's <laughs> directing the um, the film, but I I wrote it, and um, so yeah, it's a really it's a really um, nice arc to our friendship and working relationship to come back together again after. After some some years and um, make a film, I'm not going to say too much about it because right. it's not, um, you know, it's not like uh, publicized yet. But um, but it's it's a film that in- involves a lot of my 
writing monologues, some songs. Uh, right. So it's going to kind of incorporate, like, uh, bring together a lot of these other pieces that you've done. Yeah, there's almost there's very very there's like a minute of operatic stuff in it. There's nothing. The rest oh, okay. is is All really right. just writing and some songs, but not in an operatic vein. There are dancers in the film. Um, there, my parents are in the film. Um, <laughs> it's shot uh, beautifully. Um, a lot of a lot of New York cityscapes are in the film. Um, so I think, um, yeah, I think Laura has done a really beautiful job. Any idea on the time it. frame of when? Uh, I think it? it'll come out this year. I think so. Okay. Yeah, but we have a title or just uh, I can't untitled? tell you the title, but <laughs> okay. I, we do have a title, but I can't, okay. I'm not allowed to tell you. All right. Or you have to, <laughs> you have to dispose of you, put, put me out of the earthly plane, possibly. Um, all right. Let's see. Um, you have so, so you are such a busy guy. Um, you ran, you ran your production train with no midnight in Seattle script was published last year in Yale's theater journal. Um, hopefully that production will continue touring. Yeah. Um, anybody who wants to, <laughs> uh, and, uh, let's see, you also have a writing class that you're doing. Correct. Um, you talk a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, I am. Um, so I, I have a, a so I, I've recently signed with an agency called the speaking Oh, sorry. I was going to say the shipment agency. The shipment agency. Yeah. I came to them through a writer named Maria Davana Headley. Um, and who, who, uh, you know, writes, writes fiction, translated Beowulf a couple of years ago, which has gotten a great deal of attention and, and is a friend and, and collaborator. And, um, so the shipment agency, I believe, started doing these courses during the pandemic as a way for, you know, writers to, sure. to, you know, as a way for people at home to learn writing as a way for the writers to like make some money teaching the classes and, and everything. <laughs> so, um, and they're still doing that. So, uh, I've just started working with them and I've never, um, I guess I've, I have done, I have done writing workshops and, and performance workshops, but never in this format. So it'll be interesting for me, but it's something I've thought a lot about. So it's a seminar. It's not a workshop. Um, and I'll okay. talk about, but I will, you know, introduce exercises, uh, for generating material. And, you know, the focus is on, using experiences from your life and making them into stories, whether that, whether, you know, there's a veil of fiction over the story or whether it's framed as memoir. Um, you know, my emphasis is on the short form with some aspect of humor, just cause that's what I do. Yeah. But, um, it's not, not restricted to, to that gotcha. for people. Okay, cool. So, um, and then you, you have a performance, uh, Joe's pub coming up on February, February 9th. Yeah. Correct. And this is not your first at Joe's pub, right? No, I'm You've... performing there regularly the last couple, the last year, I guess. And is that kind of a showcase of a, of a lot of, a lot of the different, uh, you know, stories that you do and the performances that, that you've done? Yeah. Uh, it's okay. a changing set, but you know, I, I feel like, now, a lot of people, you know, who perform at Joe's Pub will do, say, 
have a new, you know, cabaret show and they, you know, right. do different <laughs> material, you know, but it takes me so long to write things. And um, so I don't do all new thing. It's not, it will not be, um, but it will be new to people who haven't seen me before. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that, that's kind of what I meant. Like it's a showcase of a lot of the material. That, yeah, yeah. I think of it as a set, you know, yeah. I think oh, of it yeah. as a, as yeah. a, uh, you know, just simply as a set. And, um, so I'll do it's but a I'm concert a, basically. It's a concert. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I'll, but so I'm not even sure what I'm going to do. I think I <laughs> might do some, you know, I, I was, I, I think I might change the set a bit this time because, there's about 40 minutes of material in Train With No Midnight that I don't usually do uh, in these concert settings, um, partly because, um, well, you know, some of it's just text that I don't always have on its on its feet. Um, but right now I do because we just did the production in Seattle. So I think I might right. throw some of that in there. And yeah, so I try to I try to strike a balance of doing material that i am excited by um and that is just people can come and watch me do it and uh then doing new things so last time at joe's pub i think i you know i try i did do some new songs and i did some new new monologues um so i i always try to do something new and tried and true <laughs> something new and trying it true. Okay, cool. So yeah, this is going to be, you know, if, if uh, you've seen Joseph before, you might, you, you, you know, it might be some of the greatest hits and then some surprises, but it also sounds like a great way. If you've never, if you're in New York, you're able to, to check this out at Joe's pub. You want to be introduced <laughs> into the kind of the showcase of your work. Sounds like a great way in. Yes. Um, but then you do tour a lot, so uh, somewhere, somewhere in the world, somebody will catch you <laughs> eventually. Yeah, like. yeah, I'll be in. I'll, I will be in Sarasota on the twenty seventh and twenty eighth of January, I think, or twenty sixth and twenty seventh, Friday and Saturday. I don't know when it is. Then, oh, it's, or, yes, correct. End of January. End of January. Then, February in the then I'm in <laughs> Orlando. Um, and Miami with Lydia Lunch in early February, February 9th, Joe's Pub, March 12th. I'll be with Lydia in Los Angeles at Zebulon. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. I'll be in New Haven in April. I don't know when. And then beyond that. Beyond that, we can, it would be, <laughs> it would be preposterous to continue. <laughs> All right. Well, with that said, uh, it was great talking with you, Joseph. And, uh, also, thanks to those of you out there listening. Um, you can check out the online edition of Interlocutor Magazine at interlocutorinterviews.com. Uh, check for updates on Instagram as well. It's at interlocutor.interviews. And once again, if you're a fan of our arts coverage, you can sign up to be a subscriber or throw a few bucks our way via Patreon. Uh, just click on the Patreon link on our site. And I will be back soon with another Interlocutor Interviews podcast episode. And once more, thank you very much, Joseph. Thank you.